Okay, full disclosure, this episode is not going to cover pop culture. This is going to be one of several, probably, episodes that cover a quote-unquote adulting concept, which I don't really care for that term. It's just more of a quote, making up for things that the educational system failed to teach me, end quote, episode. And today, it's about how to buy a house, because like, how the fuck do you buy a house? You don't know that? So, for context, in case there happens to actually be somebody listening to this podcast that doesn't know me personally, which, again, I'm convinced that it's just my mom, but just in case, I recently moved from California, a universally super fucking expensive state, to a different state that is less expensive. As a result, for less than the amount of rent that I was paying back in California for like an apartment that was built in the 70s that had a windowsill that leaked when it rained and no washer and dryer and no air conditioning and carpet that I think was older than I am. Oh, and that's not even mentioning the world's tiniest kitchen or the bathtub, which had this like plastic like fake tile all the way up the side of the wall but like if you pushed on it like the wall moved so yeah so now in my new spot for less rent i have like a recently renovated kind of two bedroom house with a yard and i don't know if it's the concept of just having a yard or if it's a mix of that and being locked inside and having nothing else to look at besides the yard. But I think about landscaping like every single day because my yard is just rocks and all I can think about is how well a citrus tree would kind of do along the fence line and that the fence could use a coat of paint and then I'd take the rocks out and put some grass in the middle and then maybe some like low water shrubs. Anyway, sorry, I'm getting sidetracked. I really do think about this every day. Like when I walk the dog and I can see my neighbor's yards and they look like they have kind of a lush green backyard, I am genuinely tempted to knock on their door and ask to see what theirs looks like and who landscaped it for them. Like, I don't know what happened because I know that's not okay, but it doesn't stop me from wanting to do it every day. I don't know. I think I'm like turning into my dad, but that's a topic for another time. I guess. The overall point that I'm trying to make here is that I've been tempted for a while to finally start putting down roots, but I don't really know how to do that. I've moved around a lot over the last six or seven years and hadn't honestly thought about being able to afford a house because back in California, to be honest, it's just not that possible to be able to do by yourself. But it is possible out here and On the news, they talk about the interest rates being low, which I think is a good thing. So I figured, why not learn about it? Because if it's a possibility, it's kind of a big choice and I should be as educated as possible. And I also don't think that people are taught this very often in life. So why not help some other people out along the way? Although full disclaimer, 
you should probably also get the help of a professional. But hey, at least I'll help you know the basics, right? So here's what I know. I know that you need a down payment, but I'm not quite sure how you figure out how much that needs to be or how you figure out how much house you can afford, right? Like, I have no idea how that happens. And then I know that most people obviously don't have the cash to pay for an entire house immediately. So I'm guessing you get a loan from the bank. There's also a mortgage, which I think is just the name for the loan that you get from the bank. But to be honest, I'm not 100% sure on that. And then people always mention being in escrow. So my guess is that escrow is that period between like when you make the offer and when they accept the offer. So you're kind of in limbo and then maybe they just call it escrow. Maybe. That's my guess. But I'll be right back. Let me research it and then we'll talk about it. Ashley's out researching things and she'll be back in one, two, three, four. And I'm back. And to whoever is actually listening to this, I'm not going to lie to you. It's been like a week and a half since the first part of this episode was recorded because the research for this took quite a long time. Turns out it's actually super complicated to buy a house, which only reiterates my question from earlier, which was, why isn't this taught in schools? Because honestly, even after a week and a half, I'm not sure if I 100% get it, but we're going to try. So here we go. By and large, almost every source I read had the same advice for what you should do first when you're considering purchasing a home. Essentially, you need to sort out your finances, which is no big surprise, but what that means is you need to figure out what your income is, what your down payment is going to be, which apparently is usually about 20% of the overall price of the home. But if you're a first time home buyer, you can get some like sweet ass discounts, which is good to know. And Even if you've owned like a home, maybe with a spouse, if you're like buying one for the first time, like on your own, like if you got divorced, I guess, um, you can be considered a first time home buyer or on the happier flip side of that, if you owned a home by yourself and you're now married and you're buying your first house as a married couple, you can be considered a first time home buyer for that too. So that's cool. However, if you're worried that you don't fit into that niche of first-time homebuyer, you can pay less than 20% of your down payment, but you'll just have some additional costs with mortgage insurance. Yeah, mortgage insurance, which um, will just make your monthly mortgage payment a little bit higher. But, you know, you don't want to completely drain your savings when you buy a home, so sometimes the cost might be worth it. So that's something to kind of consider based on your specific situation and maybe talk to somebody that's more of an expert than me, which is probably literally anybody else. The other thing that you need to figure out with your finances is determining how much you are willing to invest in your property. So you could buy a house for a little bit more and have it be, I guess, what's known as turnkey ready 
which is like you turn the key in the door, you bought it, and it's like ready to go. Or you can buy a fixer upper and unleash your inner Chip and Joanna Gaines and fix it up, but that will require, you know, some additional money up front. So when you're looking at the house, you kind of have to decide, oh, can I live with this ugly flooring for a little bit or do I want to fix it up front? Because that's one of the costs that can come, you know, pretty quickly after you buy the house. Some of the other additional costs that come in are your like closing costs, which I guess can be pretty expensive. And of course, obviously the down payment. So that's kind of some of the financial things you need to consider before you're buying a house. And then the second kind of financial question is, are you ready to buy a house? Because with all of these fees that come with the moving process, moving is actually pretty expensive. So you want to be sure that you're going to settle into this place for at least two to three or ideally five years so that your house can gain some equity um, before you're ready to turn around and sell it and use that to move into your next place. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, yeah, yeah, Ashley, like I have a decent nest egg going. I know what kind of house I'm looking for. I know what renovations I'm willing to do and I know what area I want to settle in get on with it. What's next? Well, I would say according to what I've been reading, your next step would be to get pre-approved for a mortgage. So you can get pre-approval from a lender for a home loan and your lender doesn't necessarily have to be who you bank with normally. There are some benefits to certain lenders and that gets really complicated and I would recommend looking into your own specific situation. But essentially the lender is who lends you your mortgage. And before they decide how much they're willing to lend you, they'll look at your debt to income ratio and ask you a bunch of questions and eventually offer you a certain amount. If you're lucky, that amount is pretty close to the approximation you already determined of about how much home you can afford. Sometimes they may offer you more than you were thinking about affording. And while that could be great, You know, it's still a good thing to keep in mind what your monthly mortgage payments will be. And just because you can have a bigger loan doesn't always necessarily mean that you should have a bigger loan. You know what I mean? And if you're unlucky and you're in the opposite boat where they're offering you less than what you were hoping for, that could be due to a bunch of different things like your credit score or maybe you have some additional debts and they won't go outside of, you know, your debt to income ratio. and That might mean that you have to shop around with a couple of different lenders or, you know, change your budget. But essentially, the loan that they give you is the mortgage. So the mortgage is just an agreement between you and the lender that gives the lender the right to take your property if you basically fail to pay them back. So that's why it's always best to determine what your monthly mortgage payment will be and make sure that you have a savings account so that you never fail to pay your mortgage because that's when they can take it back from you and the home goes into what's known as foreclosure. So don't do that. Also, while I'm still on the train of thought of pre-approval, I do want to specifically clarify that pre-approval and pre-qualification for a loan are apparently two very different things. Essentially, pre-qualification is like a super simple process where Like they can give you a ballpark figure of what you can afford to borrow, but there's no actual promise that they'll let you borrow that much. So 
if you have no idea how to figure out what your general budget is, pre-qualification could be a quick way to kind of get you in that ballpark. But pre-approval is much more of a pain in the ass because you have to do a shit ton of paperwork, but it's an actual guarantee that you're credit worthy and can buy that home, which will help you put your offer in quickly if you find a property you truly love before somebody else can snag it from you, okay? And speaking of that property that you truly love, that's called a segue, you guys. I fucking nailed that one, except not anymore because I'm talking about it, but I'm gonna still count it as a win. Anyway, the next thing to do to help you find that property that you love is to find a real estate agent. Essentially, they're your home buying guide, your mentor, your own personal Rafiki here to guide you through the jungle that is home buying. Specifically, you want to look for a buyer's agent. They know way more of the nuances of home buying and they'll guide you through that and they'll help you negotiate a good deal and they'll help you find the right house. Real estate agents have access to this database, I think, called MLS, where they can really search on a lot of parameters for you if you care about certain neighborhoods, number of bedrooms, bathrooms, when the home was built, and certain features like, you know, air conditioning. So they can help you kind of narrow down your list and tell you whether or not it's going to be a good deal. One of the things that I didn't know is that a realtor and a real estate agent are technically different things. They're very similar, but a realtor is just a member of the National Association of Realtors and has a certain code of ethics. So essentially, Having a realtor is additional insurance to help you nail it along the way. There's also brokers and real estate agents have to work for brokers, but brokers are real estate agents that have gone on to get like additional education. And as far as I understand it are basically the people that will facilitate the sale of the home or help you buy the home. So they're kind of like the middleman between the buying and the selling party. And essentially, all real estate agents work on behalf of a broker, or you can find a broker who works on their own because they don't necessarily have to have a real estate agent underneath them. But essentially, realtor, real estate agent, and broker are all people that can help you find the home. They just have slightly different definitions. Anyway, once you find one and they're working for you, you get to do the fun part, which is shop for a home. And since I can't, offer advice on what makes a good home because that's entirely subjective. Just know that it's the fun part and we're going to go ahead and move on to the next step of what do you do when you find your home? Once you find your unicorn, the perfect house for you, the one you're willing to put it all down on, that's when you make an offer. So essentially your offer is like a sales contract or a purchase agreement and it needs to have a lot of different elements in it, usually the address, description of the property, sales price, the terms. Sometimes they say that they're going to leave, you know, the appliances there or they're going to help with a certain amount of closing costs or things like that. You want to make sure to include those in the terms of your offer. You also have to include the seller's promise to provide a clear title a target date for when you want to close, which will influence when you can move in, the amount of deposit you're going to make, who's going to pay for insurance, and anything else that might be in there that your realtor can help you with. Some things are specific to what state you live in. 
especially certain provisions about inspections of the property before you buy it and also a time limit of when the offer will expire. So it's quite a complex document and that's why you definitely want to have a real estate agent there to help you with it. Typically, these offers come with contingencies, so you can back out if certain things don't happen, such as you getting the financing you were hoping for and also the home inspection, like a satisfactory result on your home inspection, I should say. And then they also usually come with an earnest money deposit, so you put down some cash with your offer to show that you are serious. It does later become part of your down payment, so don't worry, it's not like an extra thing. Then once you put in your offer, the seller gets to respond to your offer. They can accept it and they can also come back with a counter offer. And you can go back and forth that way for a while. Also, if you decide to take back your offer, you can usually do that too, but you definitely want to consult someone to make sure you don't lose that earnest money deposit. So Try not to put offers on houses willy-nilly. Also, does anybody actually say willy-nilly anymore? It's just my mom says it, now I said it, but when I just said it right there, it felt very old lady of me. So whatever, I'm keeping it. Anyway, once the buyer and the seller agree on the offer, ta-da, you have a binding contract, yeah. (laughs) Sorry, I know that was dumb, but... It's really hard to make this stuff entertaining, y'all. It is dry as fuck to read, and there's just like no articles that put it in just like step one, step two, step three, without like 30 fucking million paragraphs in between of more definitions that I have to look up because I don't like do you do you know what I'm talking about? Like, do you ever read something and then you don't know the word? So then you like look up the definition, but then when you look up the definition, the definition has like another word that you don't know, so then you have to look that up. Like, that's been the last week and a half of my life. (laughs) Anyway, if you thought that was the end of it, you are wrong because next is the home inspection. So the home inspector will check out the house, every nook and cranny, and determine if there are any problems. Sometimes it can be bad. It could be termites or a bad foundation or asbestos, but sometimes it's fine. And most problems are fixable, and it's always good to know what you're getting into, and if it's an unsatisfactory result, you already worked it into your closing agreement where you can back out of your offer. So that's the next step. But then if you thought you were done there, you're also still wrong because after that, you have to get a home appraisal, which essentially is kind of like an inspection, but it's for the lender. So the financial institution that's lending you your mortgage, because At the end of the day, if you fail to pay your mortgage, the lender now owns your home. So they want to inspect it to make sure that it's a good deal and a fair price as well. And even though they don't work for you, they work for the lender, you as the buyer get to pay for it in your closing costs. So hooray. Overall, the appraiser is going to look at the condition, the square footage, the location, and any additions or renovations. After that, they're going to appraise the home and determine what its value is. And you just want to hope that it is equal to or greater than the amount you just paid for it. Because if it's less, they're not going to give you the loan for the full amount that you just offered. And then you have some decisions to make. And there are a couple different routes. So if you're in that boat, again, ask somebody that can help you 
with your specific situation. But overall, it doesn't actually take that much time. From what I was reading, they're in and out in 30 minutes. They don't have to inspect every little detail. They just want to make sure that it's a decent investment for them. And once it's done, you are finally into your final step. This last step is known as closing, but in some parts of the country might be known as settlement or the word that I've been wondering this whole time, escrow. But essentially, closing brings together the buyer, the seller, mortgage representative, and a couple of other people. And there are a lot of fees that come along with closing, which can be anywhere from 2 to 7% of the home's total purchase, which is kind of insane. So like if you buy a house for $250,000, your closing costs can be anywhere from $5,000 to $17,000. These fees cover a lot of different things. There's the loan amount origination fee, which is what the lenders charge for processing all of your paperwork. Um, a fee for running your credit report, a fee to assess your credit worthiness, a fee for the appraisal, a fee for the home inspection, a fee for them to search the title to make sure that the property doesn't have any liens against it, a survey fee, taxes, mortgage insurance, all kinds of stuff. Um, there's also the escrow deposit. So this is the term that I've always wanted to know. So I'm going to talk about escrow for a little bit. So if you remember, I talked about when you put your offer in that you put a deposit down. It's known as an earnest money deposit. And that deposit goes into an escrow account. And again, it shows the seller that you are serious about buying the home. Essentially, once the deal closes and you sign all the paperwork and the mortgage documents, the earnest money from this escrow account is released. And the buyers get the money back and they apply it to their down payment and also some of these closing costs. And that escrow account that was used to host that earnest money deposit is a short-term account. But after closing, a second escrow account, which is opened by your lender, the financial institution that lent you that money, that is your mortgage. And this account will be used throughout the life of your loan, typically 30 years. Essentially, when you're calculating your monthly mortgage payment, your lender calculates what extra money will be needed to maintain the mortgage via property taxes and homeowner's insurance. And that's then added in to the total of how much you owe your bank each month. And all this money is deposited into your escrow account. And then when your property taxes and your homeowner's insurance payments are due, the lender dips into this account and pays these bills on your behalf to make sure that these bills are never paid late and that there'll never be a lien against your house for missed monthly payments so they can't seize it because the lender also owns your house and wants to make sure that nobody else has the right to seize it but them, you know what I mean? Um, and you will have to prepay some of these escrow costs at closing. Your lender might make you pay upfront for the entire first year of homeowner's insurance. Um, so if your policy costs a thousand bucks, you'll have to pay that entire amount at closing so that the lender can pay for your first year's coverage. And then you'll start funding your second year of coverage, and every year after that, usually 30 years is the length of a mortgage loan, as part of your monthly mortgage payments. How much you pay up front to cover the property taxes will kind of depend on when your first property tax installment is due. They might require three months up front. Um, they might require more. They might require less. Again, it just kind of depends on your specific situation. 
Anyway, your property taxes and your insurance premium can vary from year to year. So there'll be an annual escrow analysis to make sure that you are not hosting too much money in your escrow fund. And sometimes if there's too much, you can get a refund. So that's exciting. But anyway, during closing, you might hear the acronym PITI when they're talking about your mortgage payment. And PITI stands for basically all the pieces that go within your payment. There's the principal mortgage payment, interest, taxes, and insurance. And that's what you'll pay month to month after you've finished all your closing costs because congratulations, you have now reached the point where you have probably written some of the largest checks you've ever written in your entire life, but you own a home where you can paint the walls whatever color you want. You can landscape the backyard however you want. And overall, you can do your own thing. You've picked a place to settle down for a while and you don't answer to anybody for it, you know? And that's kind of cool. And that's what I think I'm hoping for, at least someday and maybe soon. Who knows? But at least I understand it a lot more now. And for that, I'm grateful because this is a large step in your life and you should understand what you're doing while you do it. But for now, Good lord, that research was exhausting, and I'm sure I missed stuff, and I hope that I'm not that far off, but it is entirely possible that I am still slightly far off because my baseline was like negative understanding. But anyway, I hope this helped you if you were thinking about how to buy a house and just having somebody explain it in a way that was somewhat straightforward with simple language. At least that's what I was shooting for. So if you're trying to find a house, I'm right there with you. I feel the pain. And best of luck to both of us. And I'll see you all next time. For now, that's the end of episode three. If you enjoyed this episode and are looking forward to more, please consider subscribing and leaving a review. If you would like to follow us on social media for updates and photos, you can follow us at You Don't Know Pod, that's You Don't Know P O D, on Instagram and Twitter. If you have a recommendation for something for me to research for you, or a story about you not knowing something until way later in life than you should have, there's no judgment here, and you can email me at You Don't Know That, the podcast, at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.